Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, we've got real Phillies baseball to talk about. The spring training schedule got underway this weekend. The Phillies have three games in the books as we are recording this here on Monday night. And so we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we saw this weekend. Also, one of the big Boris clients officially signed over the weekend. So we'll just touch on that uh, and where the other three might go at the end of the podcast as well. Plus, more of the Where Are They Now segment uh, that Liz has been bringing us here at the end of the podcast. So we will talk about another former Philly and figure out where the heck that guy is now, or at least where the heck he was when the book was written that we're going to be taking this information from. So joining me as they do every time this week, whether it's on a Sunday night or a Monday night, to wrap up a weekend of fine Phillies discourse, Justin Clue and Liz Rocher. Liz, of course, you know from Yahoo Sports. You follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. Liz, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. My weekend was pretty good. I went to a one-year-old's birthday party. Uh, my husband and I are looking for a house. So we looked at like our 6,000th home okay. over the past two months, two and a half months. That's a lot. Um, my father gave me a review of our uh, podcast last week. Uh, he listened to the section about Rick Bozzetti twice and laughed very, very hard. He thought this was peeing in the outfield thing was very funny, and I have to agree with him. Yeah, how that hasn't been turned into a movie or a miniseries is beyond me. I mean, you have angels in the outfield. You would think that certainly peeing in the outfield would be worth some kind of attention from Hollywood, but, you know. Listen, this is a sequel that Joseph Gordon-Levitt can and should star in. That's right. That's right. Seems like an obvious next step. You know. An obvious next step for Joe, yeah, for his career, for sure. Uh, that's Justin Clue, of course, from Baseball Prospectus. Follow him on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Justin, how are you, bud? Neither one of you said that Muit Merrifield was the savior of this franchise when he was signed. And now he hit, I believe, a double in his first game and then a home run in today's game. And I got I got to ask, don't you two feel stupid? <laughs> at this point i bet you do I, if this, i were you i would you would is this yeah. because that you you were on the Whitmerryfield train to begin with is that is that what liz I'm who's to say what <laughs> things were supported by who at I mean, various I, times and what we do what is sweeping the... generalizations were made in heated moments <laughs> there's no <laughs> recorded record of any of this <laughs> I was just gonna so, say, we do happen to do a podcast. <clears throat> Not that any anyone listens to pack episodes, nor should they. But if we wanted to, we could go back. But you know what? We'll just uh, let's I'm just. just saying, let I don't you... remember either of you uh, chiming in with uh, confirmation that Whit Merrifield is going to save the Phillies season and that this signing is actually very important. And he's proven you wrong. He's proving the haters wrong, and you are the <laughs> hater, and you are in shambles. I think we're going to let agree. you have this one. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to be the 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 non hater and uh, we would be the haters here. Um, we we can go that. Me. The crowd loves me. What can I say? They do. They do. It's it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Uh, and Whit Merrifield loves you too for being that one guy. You know, you're 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 the one who's urging the standing ovation here before the season even mm. starts, which mm-hmm. is yes. Which I think I said. Each time. <laughs> That's right. I still right. honestly could not tell you what he looks like. Yeah. I feel like he might be a guy in like a guy from that. Uh, 
Nate McLeod, Grady Sizemore period. In yeah, disguise. yeah, 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 yeah. He kind like of feels sc- like one of those dudes, like a Scott Kingery, like ten years older with 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 uh, with Five O'clock Shadow. That's literally well, Scott mean, Kingery now. That's, that's, that's what right. he's here. That's, that's what he's right here now. to be. Scott <laughs> Kingery, ten years older, but also yeah, like you're saying, now. but also with a career behind him. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. You know, we did see uh, you mentioned Whit Merrifield hit a home run here in the game on Monday. Uh, so he got his spring off to a good start. And we're going to talk about uh, just a, a little bit of some of the comments that he had to say uh, since he's joined Philly's camp, because clearly a different vibe between this one and Kansas City. Um, but, you know, the Phillies did say before the start of spring training that they were going to focus more on winning baseball games. And I don't know if that means, you know, they're playing extra hard. They're going to play the starters longer, whatever that means. But in the first two games, you know, they won that first one. Was it 14-13 or something like that? And then uh, in the second game, they took a no-hitter into the through seven innings and beat the Yankees four to nothing. Just a whole slew of Phillies pitchers throwing shutouts and darts up there. And then in the game on Monday, they had a lead, and there were a bunch of no-names who were doing stuff. I, I don't know how much winning and losing is actually going to help this team, but I, I think in a way of trying to get off to a better start in April and May, if it helps them in their minds to enter kind of on a winning roll a little bit here in spring training, I remember in the 93 video, they talked about wanting to win games in spring training to kind of get themselves off on, into onto a, a good start in 93, and they looked at the fact they had a winning record despite years of losing, years and years and years of losing, wanting to kind of change that around. So I kind of like the fact that I'm kind of taking the wins and losses a little bit more, not a lot seriously, because it's mostly about these guys playing well. But how much more how much more seriously, Liz, are you taking wins and losses here in the spring training? Do you think it means anything more whether they win or lose these games? It means nothing to me. I don't care, and I don't think any fan should care. But I, it's interesting that the Phillies really care. Like, I mean, or who? what fan is going to celebrate because they have a winning record at the end of spring training? I mean, everyone will be thrilled who went because they saw more wins than losses, which is usually not how it goes for the Phillies in spring training. But it's, you know, it, it's a recognition that these are all established stars. They know what they need to do to get themselves in rhythm. And so they're just sort of taking everything seriously and treating it more like the regular season, I think, and less like, you know, spring training, spring training. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. they're treating the whole thing sort of like the last, like maybe two to three weeks of spring training where where the regulars are getting a little bit more time and everyone's paying a bit more attention because the regular season is right there. The games will soon start counting. Yeah, and it sounds like, Justin, from everything I'm reading and everything we're seeing, is like these guys are all throwing really hard for this stage of the spring. I mean, Alvarado was throwing like 98, 98, 99 miles an hour. His cutter's at like 95 already. Uh, You know, all these guys are kind of ramping it up. Mick Abel's, we want to talk about him more in just a minute, but it kind of feels like these guys came into spring training, I don't know if more serious is the right way to put it, but just kind of hitting the ground running a little bit more. Maybe that's maybe that's just my perception of it. I don't know if it's reality or not. Well, it's a testament to that 93 video that I was <laughs> going to make the same comment, and it is such a frame of reference for us and multiple others that things said in that video, didn't they go 16 and 10 in that spring training? Because they flashed yeah, the record something on like screen. That. So yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that as well. Um, it's the so greatest, it's the greatest baseball video ever created, by the yeah. way. Just, oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Hands down. <laughs> Every every time they put out a new yearbook, we're like, well, it's not like the 93 one, so <laughs> right. what's the point? But in any case, um, yeah, I mean, 
Liz is right. You're going to have a tough time keeping fans' attention, I think, through the first, through like the month of spring training. But at the same time, I think it's valuable to the team, just logically. I mean, this is a team, one of their biggest flaws is that they kind of just bumble through the first two months of the season getting into real, actual playing shape and getting the momentum they've used to, to achieve the success they have. But... You know, logically, if you're going to take spring training more seriously, like it's as much as you can, like it's a actual month of the season, then theoretically, by the time opening day rolls around, you're not going to need to like shake more of the rust off. You're not going to spend two months of the season yep. not hitting the home runs you're supposed to hit. So I, I do. I get that. But I'm also with you, John. My first question was like, I wonder what that means now, because in a game like that first game, it was such a back and forth. Blue Jays would go ahead and the Phillies would go ahead. And, you know, maybe you're a little more strategic, I guess, than than um, thinking about, okay, these guys have to play today. So I guess that could be a chief difference. But then again, today, the Phillies lost on a wild pitch from Andrew Schultz. I mean, there's no <laughs> part of that, that first game that should happen. In the even the first season. game was filled with, with no-name random guys, you know? So, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, because when they play these road games, it's mostly the guys with the 70s and the 80s numbers, and it's not necessarily <laughs> Kyle Schwarber and JT Real Muto making the trip. But at the same time, right. I, I like the, I like, I, I hope that they're emphasizing, you know, let's try and win this game. Let's try and win these games a little bit more, putting a little bit more emphasis on that, not to the point yeah. where you're doing things that are stupid with your players. I think it's but, a good thing. Yeah. I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good practice. I think it's a good answer to what their problem has been, because... You know, I, I thought about the Braves a lot earlier in the offseason and, and how they were talking about how they were addressing their specific needs, which weren't to like, oh, let's become a good team. Well, we're already that. Well, let's become a playoff team. Well, we're already that. Let's become, you know, the better you are, the more specific issues that you're trying to address. And theirs is like, well, how do we stop losing to this freaking Phillies team in the postseason? <laughs> and, you know, in their own way, they felt they addressed that. Yeah. And the Phillies' unique problem is how do we not lose a bunch of games we should have won early in the season and therefore impact our, our, you know, seeding or whatever later in the season. And I think this is as good a, a way as any. And I think you, you've heard other teams do this before, not just the 1993 Phillies. I feel like you hear other training camps before a team just reaches that point and they're like, yeah, no, let's, we're going to put more emphasis on winning games in spring training. We're just going to do that this year and see what happens. Because a lot of the times they're not. They're not thinking about the other thing about, okay, these are the guys who are going to get some time today. These are the guys we want to see something from today. You know, it's all mapped out. So treating it more like it's an actual game, I can see how that would uh, potentially be a remedy to the Phillies' you know, specific problems. Let's talk a little bit about what we saw this weekend, too. I want to start with Aaron Nola, who looked fantastic in his first spring outing, throwing 94 to 96 miles an hour. Uh, not, not quite, I'm sorry, I was looking at the other guy, but he was throwing his normal speed, 90, 93, 94 miles an hour with his fastball. Um, and one of the things that was has been written about, and it was written a little bit about towards the end of last year and in the playoffs, some of the adjustments that he made with the pitch clock. We have talked about it on the podcast, especially last October when... Nolo seemed to figure out what to do with the pitch clock. Instead of looking over to the pitch clock on the right, that was closer to his line of sight, but then messing up his mechanics. Late in the season, he started looking to the pitch clock on the left because Caleb Cottom said essentially that you're closing off your body when you look at the pitch clock. And, and Aaron Nola talked about to Alex Coffey and, other, and, and Todd Zalecki and the other writers about how he allowed the pitch clock to really crawl inside his head. We were right last year talking about Aaron Nola. It is exceedingly clear 
the pitch clock was a major problem for him. Not only when there were runners on base, but especially when there were runners, but when runners weren't on base as well. Like he just he he couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure out how to get the base runners under control. He couldn't figure out how to get himself centered when when he was trying to to rush to avoid a, a pitch clock violation. And uh, I, I thought Justin, it was really interesting that they have specifically they specifically found something so small looking at the other dadgum clock that can turn a guy from like a mid five ERA guy to someone in October that was as good as he'd ever pitched before. I'm just blown. It blows my mind that we are still, we're dealing with professional athletes and it can be simple as something. Well, look at the other clock. So, so, so look, I, um, I'm glad, I'm really glad the Phillies resigned Aaron Nola was the only thing they could do. Um, it was the only move to make. He is a fantastic top of the rotation starter. Um, I heard this story and I really just couldn't help but think, boy, this is this is a really stupid sport we talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> good lord! But I mean, like, look, you can you can relate to this though. You can yeah. like, oh, I'm like in a really dour mood. I'm in a rut, and then you change one thing. You watch a movie you've never seen before. You take a different route to work, and suddenly something just opens up, and you're like, you know what? I'm now just kind of seeing everything a little differently, mm-hmm. and it just feels like I'm out of that rut, and I don't feel as so, like, I think you can relate to this somewhat. It is just you hear this story and you're like, well, you know, it's like the cliche, Doc, it hurts when I do this. We'll stop doing that. You're like, well, stop looking at that <laughs> clock. Look at that clock. Oh, okay. Oh, man. And this, this is, don't, oh, we got to go look back and think of all those games that it, <laughs> maybe that, if he just looked over there, it would have not been a problem. Oh, boy. Okay, sure. Well, he's looking at the right clock now. So Yeah, you found it. That's fine. That's, that's what Caleb's here for. So, oh, boy. All right. I wouldn't Dang look it. at it. I wouldn't look at it quite like that. It's it's tempting to be like all of that last year could have been fixed if he just moved his eyes the other direction. But if you read, like Alex Coffey wrote a great article about this, and they talked, she talked about, um, she talked to Nola about a lot of the other issues he's had over time that sort of compounded last year at the pitch clock into this just sort of big knot of problems. You know, he is a slow worker and it seemed like before last year, everyone seemed very reluctant to say that like the Phillies at least seemed very reluctant to be like, he is a slow worker. and needs more time. They couldn't deny that last year. And so he had to adjust and now, like, if you read the article, he's got a pregame, um, he has a pregame routine where he details everything he's going to do so he can concentrate on what he's supposed to be doing. He said, I need to focus on the hitter, not the yeah. clock. Um, or, you know, focus on the hitter, then the clock, not the clock, then mm-hmm. the hitter. And so it is a tiny thing, but it it really rearranged a lot for him. And it, it, it sort of led to a cascade of changes, including the way he's preparing now and how prepared he's feeling. You know, it's really great to see him in spring training, not just be confident, which we've seen before. Like, we know, like, the Aridnola bravado. You know, mm-hmm. he we know when he's just sort of saying things to say things. I think we've been able to recognize that. But... 
when he was speaking with Alex Coffey, he was really open. He was really descriptive. And that to me is like, that's confidence. He's really sure about what he's doing, about how he's preparing, about what he's putting out there, even now when the games do not count. So it's just so encouraging. And I'm really hopeful that this is going to carry over. I think the most important part is that he's willing to make adjustments and that there's someone in-house who can suggest the adjustments that he needs to make, which yeah. he's a guy who, who you know could benefit from, from adjustments uh, before this one. So I, I think that hearing that is honestly some of the most um, confidence-boosting aspects of this. I mean, coaching matters. I, I think we see that in, in football. I think you, we see that especially in football. I mean, you have so many coaches in football. I mean, it's it's – you really can see some of these guys do make a difference. But I think with the Phillies... Football coaches? That's what you want to talk about right no, now no, in Philadelphia? See, giving you confidence? I think... Who is our Nick Sirianni? Who is our Nick Sirianni? Who is our quarterback's coach? You know I, who our Nick Sirianni yes, was. Yes, I, I, yeah, I know who he was. I know who it is. I'm so glad um, we all thought the same thing at the same time. We've been doing this podcast together a long time. We have. Um so I, I think it's really interesting. You've got a guy in Kevin Long, who I know he, he had his criticism towards the end of last year when the Phillies offense failed to make adjustments against the Arizona Diamondbacks late in that series. But I think for the most part, we can all agree Kevin Long has helped a lot of these hitters really achieve and to do more with what they have than they had under previous guidance. And Caleb Cottom, I don't think, gets enough credit for some of the stuff that he's done as a pitching coach. Being able to figure out something new with Jeff Hoffman, being able to get Christopher Sanchez, along with the other coaches that they have there, to figure out, you know, less velocity, more command. Wow, did that play up? You know, they talked about that this year and him being an X factor this year because let's let's see if we can piggyback off that and add a little more velocity now that we've got the command. Like, they just seem to have a really good handle on their players. And the discourse four years ago, even three years ago, before Dombrowski got here, was these guys could play pretty well through the minors, and then when they would get to the majors, they would crater. It was almost as if any progress that had been made through AAA would just hit a brick wall when these guys reached the major leagues. And whether it was Gabe Kapler, whether it was his coaches, whether it was just, I, I don't know exactly what it was, Joe Girardi during that time, whatever it was, something was happening at the major league level with the coaching not being able to get more out of the players, and in fact, seemingly stunting a lot of the players once they got to the major league level. It is refreshing to seemingly see the opposite of that. It seems like it's um, it's been a very clear thing, and it's just that Dave Dombrowski was able to figure out a plan and then get everyone to buy into it. And that's that's really as easy as it is, you know, and it's see, it's just like two steps, but it's there's a lot that goes into it, creating the plan and then convincing everybody this is the right thing to do because you, they can't evangelize for you unless they believe in it. And so the players aren't going to want to do it unless the coaches really care. And so like it just everyone is working together. Everyone's working in concert as opposed to Joe Girardi doing his own thing, trying to not let the media know anything that he that's happening on the team. And then we've got, you know, we've got pitching coach doing their own thing and hitting coach during the doing their own thing. And then it's all different than what's happening in the minors. Everyone's now working off the same document. Everyone's yeah. using the same, same reference book. Mm hmm. Liz and I talked about how there's been a couple of conversations about change in the Phillies camp this year from Zach Wheeler to David Buchanan, just from the past couple of years to even when Buchanan left. 
until now. And that's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Like there was a, a couple of hiccups and a couple of false starts, but for the most part, to get to this point, a lot of change had to be undergone. And it really does feel like entering camp this year that like the right changes have been made like before now, but also including now. All right, let's, I want to talk a little bit about Mick Abel on uh, the inning that he had against the Yankees on Sunday. One, two, three inning against the Yankees. 16 pitches, 11 strikes, two strikeouts. He was the one sitting 94 to 96 miles an hour. Uh, he's working on, uh, I think it's called a gyro slider or something like this, but it's a it's slider. Just that's making got, things up now. Yeah. <laughs> just making up pitch names. A, a hyper gyro super slider that hyper is a little bit. sweeper slurving curve change. S- Sir, if you want to start server. naming pitches after Transformers, I'm all in on this. This is a movement <laughs> in baseball I, yeah, I could right. not get enough of. Please. This Please. is the, uh, my Optimus Prime. See, if you, if you can hit this it, you can rename it. This is how I thought pitches were named when I was a child. Right. When, when I got older and was like, oh, it's just like fastball because it's fast. It's curveball because it's curve. That sucks. That's boring. No. no. Let's, let's definitely – I embrace this era. G.I. Joe. Cobra, this is the Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, That's right. my God. <laughs> no this is the gem pitch. of right. gem in the holograms. <laughs> well, no, everyone could hit uh, Cobra Commander, I guess, because they always are. Yeah. <laughs> He'd always get away, but you can hit him. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's it's he's got this slider that's that's supposed to create more of a separation between that and his curveball. But it was just really great to see the, the the young prospect come out his first time out and and look dominant. Now it wasn't the prime Yankees lineup, and that's you know certainly something you have to take into consideration. And doesn't need to be said, especially it, for Abel. For, well, no, for, it doesn't because the command yeah. is what you're looking to see. You're looking at the stuff. He's already at this stage of the spring. It's still February for crying out loud, and he's throwing 94, 96 miles an hour. He was throwing. Going with good command. He pitched really well in his last four or five starts at the end of last season. And I know there was the hope that could springboard here into 2024. One spring inning is not going to tell the tale of McAble. And the good thing is he's under no pressure to try and make the big league starting rotation. He's going to start at Lehigh Valley. There's no way he breaks camp with the big league club. And that's that's good for now. But they may need him this year. And so if he can get a solid spring under his belt against major league hitters and have some success and not come to the team in a couple of days and say my elbow's hurting because we saw this last year, keep him healthy, keep him effective, let him do his thing and get him rolling into AAA so that he can be a guy if he has a good first half that they can bring up to the majors this year. But just a really a really encouraging sign from Mick Abel to start things off here this spring. Yeah, I mean, he's exactly the type of guy that they'll need in a month, in a month and a half when whichever of the Phillies back end starters trips over a ball in the outfield or whatever it is, you know, throws too hard or sneezes and needs, you know, a trip to the injured list. You know, that's the perfect time to call up this, you know, to call up this kid to do whatever it is that needs to be done. He can have a cup of coffee and go back down and continue to sort of build. You know, what I saw was a building block and it was awesome to see like a foundation, like an actual solid foundation for the season be out there so early. It just shows like, Overall, how excited the Phillies are to get into everything. All of the Phillies at whatever level, they are just excited to be there, to get training, to show off what they've learned. Like, that's also a cool thing. Like, Johan Rojas, I think we're going to talk about him. He's like, he seems to be very excited to to not just be doing better, but now he gets to show all of his friends. He's like, I can bunt now. Look at me. 
Mick Abel's success, which, you know, again, is one spring training game old as far as this season and this campaign goes, is pretty critical to this team, I, I feel. This is yeah. um, this is not a team that invested a lot uh, financially in big bullpen names. So I think this is the kind of this is the kind of guy they want to get those innings from if they can um i think they have a couple of options but he would be a great one especially after last year which was kind of a sad trombone for the phillies like big three pitching prospects which are they're considered a very top heavy farm system because of those guys and we know mcgarry fell off in a big way we know abel had a rough season until the end we know you know painters on the shelf for a while um but going into last year abel was talking about like what he wanted to accomplish and he he was talking about I, I want to be able to like trust my stuff i want to be able to establish my stuff and you know obviously his year went the way it went but then to see john you mentioned the command in that first appearance and even just that that one sequence where he was able to come inside on a hitter with like a 95 mile an hour fastball and then lead him with a slider going yeah. in the other direction with that with that let's call it mm, let's call it a jet fire slider fireball yeah wheel Love wheel it. jack wheel yep. jack yep. slider yep. Yep. um were you looking up zone? transformer Just, names during the was, yes. liz and i were talking yeah <laughs> i was okay. mm-hmm. um and uh to just be able to lead the hitter in the other direction like that showed like uh a, a very encouraging amount mm-hmm. of command and it was just it was a it was a sexy pitching sequence, honestly. And it was something you <laughs> want to see from, from oh, yeah. like a top pitching prospect and command, mm-hmm. you know, velocity is one thing, but being able to command your pitches like that is, is going to play a key role in him being the kind of guy the Phillies would love him to be this year. I, I would be surprised if they use him in a bullpen role this year, maybe, maybe in September, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. late, late, late in the season, it's all but depth. I, but I mean, it's all depth, man. <laughs> well, the good, yeah, and the, but the good thing you have with Abel is that one of the other things he said he wanted to do last year was make it through a full season as a starter, like to to do a starter's workload and get through the whole season and be healthy at the end of the season, and that was accomplished. He was able to do that, so he learned how to get through an entire season, monitoring his body, being able to being able to get through healthy to the end of the season, which is a good thing, and that's that's something to build on. And now you can start to maybe build on some of these other aspects, like you're talking about getting a, a slider that's more effective working it in tandem with a 94, 95, 96 mile an hour fastball and building off that. Because as you guys talked about on the last podcast, the Phillies have not been able to really develop young guys and sign them long term and to have them in-house. They've had to go and they've had to import a lot of the star players that they have. And, you know, Bryson Stott could be a guy that they sign to a long-term extension at some point in the very near future. Depending on what Chris Sanchez does this year, he could be a guy like that. Mick Abel is a guy who you would think if he has a good year or two in the majors that they would want to do something similar following the Atlanta blueprint. You need some guys like that because you don't want to have to go out and sign Taiwan Walker to a deal that makes you uncomfortable. You know, you, that's not something if you can avoid doing that and you can have one of your guys get that number four spot in the starting rotation, that's what you want to do. So, again, just the first inning, but like you said, Justin, that sequence, that's, that's the kind of stuff that really makes you dream on, on Mick Abel because I was down on him last year. Like, I, I just, he looked to me like he was going to be like another Spencer Howard or just, and I wasn't giving up on him, but just, I, we have not had a good track record developing these guys over the last few years. So, uh, this was encouraging. Let's see how it plays out. Let's see if he can stay healthy through the spring and, and keep moving forward. Um, let's talk about Johan Rojas real quick. Uh, first game was a very interesting one. Two strikeouts for him in that game. Uh, had an infield single. But then uh, Kevin Long said they wanted to give him a fourth at bat because some of the changes that they've implemented in his approach 
they seem to be doing paying some dividends in the game, even though the results didn't show it. They've, they're having him quiet his his stance, his pre swing motions down to try and keep it nice and simple. That's one of the things Kevin Long really stresses to his hitters is keep it quiet before you swing. And they wanted to give Rojas another shot and get him a fourth at bat, and he hits a triple. So he had him leaving that game feeling pretty good. Obviously, he's he's he wants to win that job. It hasn't been handed to him, but he certainly has the inside track on that center field job. And I don't know, Justin, what do you think... He doesn't need to do much, right? Like, if he just continues to do that kind of stuff, you know, he's added muscle to his frame. He looks he's he looks like he's a bigger guy. We've talked a lot about Johan Rojas here on the podcast. What did you see from him this weekend that, you know, did it, did it help you feel any, any more one way or the other about him? Or, I mean, I guess we're, we're still a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, what we know right now is he added the muscle. We know he's put in the work all offseason long. We know that, like you said, he wants that job. And I think the Phillies want him to win that job. I think they're prepared to not give it to him if it you know doesn't seem that way. But they want him to get that job. They want this to work out. And they've done everything they can do to help him get there. And he's, to his credit, also put, it sounds like he has put in the work. Um, yeah. he, got a, he got a couple of bats, I think, in the Dominican Winter League. And uh, at one point, he seemed like he was the only guy anybody was writing about over the winter. So <laughs> I think yeah, I, I think yeah. that this situation, everybody wants the same result. Like we're talking about the Phillies using the same script. In this case, I think like everybody's just like, yeah, we know we have a guy here who can play center field. He's got to be able to hit a little. He's got to be able to hit as much as a nine hole hitter. Um, maybe better, preferably better, but yeah. that's really all he's got to be able to do. And I think he can do that. I think he's going to do that. And even in this small example of what well, we want him to have a fourth at bat, they're clearly, they, they're giving him the opportunities literally in this case to succeed. And it paid off in this case. And yeah, you, know, you were talking about trying to win more games in the grapefruit league, but this is, this would be something that helps you win more games. I think in the regular season yeah. is getting Johan Rojas in a place where he's confident in what he's now able to do. Uh, and they're showing that they trust him to be able to do that. So I think he, he's there's, there's going to be a lot of talk about him in the next couple of weeks. He's going to have more scrutiny probably than he ever has um, because the Phillies are kind of set up in most of their other positions. So this is where a lot of the narrative and where a lot of the spring training storylines are, are going to come from, um, especially with Marsh's knee also being an issue. So uh, I, I think this was an encouraging, again, encouraging beginning to his spring and also just indicative of how the Phillies are going to treat this situation moving forward. Like we want you to succeed. Like here's another chance succeed. Go please prove us right. And he did. Yeah. I mean, Liz, I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be his job to lose at this point. I mean, but you have a couple of guys like Christian Pache has gotten off to a really hot start again, just a couple of games in. I we're talking about it. Like oh, he's off to a hot start. This three spring games. Obviously we're just really jacked up to watch baseball again. We're very but excited. <laughs> we're very excited. The baseball's back and we can stop talking about will the Phillies sign anybody. So with, you've got Christian Pache who's hit a home run. He's uh, having a good offensive start here. Um, you know, it's with Merrifield, as we talked about, hit a home run on Monday. We know he's making the team, uh, as a, as a fourth outfielder. He's a right-handed hitter. Uh, Christian Pache, also a right-handed hitter. Jake Cave is a, a left-handed hitter. Jake Cave, the veteran, of course, we know what he can and probably more to the point can't do at the major league level. Pache is a 25 year old kid. He plays defense almost as well 
as 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 Johan Rojas. We kind of forget that, but Pache is also a plus plus defender in center field, and he's got more upside. But he's also a right-handed hitter, same as Whit Merrifield, same as Johan Rojas. It seems as though if you're making a decision between Pache and Jake Cave, what's what do you think is more important? What what will the Phillies value more? The the young player with all the upside who might bat the same handedness as Whit Merrifield and Johan Rojas or Jake Cave because he hits left-handed. They love Jake Cave. I mean, they love Jake Cave. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that John Middleton has a Jake Cave poster on his wall or at least someone does in the Phillies front office. You think you think John Middleton like when he sees him calls him Caveman like has a nickname God, for him? God, I bet he kind of absolutely him. does that. He does that, it's doesn't kind of he? malpractice if they're not calling him Caveman, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> It is. I would think so. Probably, it's probably like, call them Caver right. or something because they're baseball players. <laughs> they just love. They love the. They just love to put R's on the end of names for no reason. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about something else. What were we talking about? Um. Pa- Pache versus Cave. What do you think the Phillies will will value most there? It's gonna be. Cave. I think they'll value handedness because I think that's that's historically what they've cared about. I think they will. Um, they like Jake Cave enough to re-sign him. Pache, he, I think he's out of options, but he's yes, he he's out they're of options. They're both op- out of options. Yeah, they're both, they're both out, of, out options. of options. But I would say, I, I they probably feel a lot more comfortable with Cave than Pache. Whether they should or not is for greater minds than me to decide. Like it's Jake Cave and right. Christian Pache. Like just put one of them in the lineup, <clears throat> please. Oh, what would I, be? Uh... I think they, not that you asked, I think they, um, but I want to know, uh, do value. They would value the left-handedness more. I think everybody who's spent the winter complaining about Jake cave would ultimately be like, well, they need the left-hander in there. (laughs) I've said it before. I think there's more to see from Christian Pache, man. I think there's, I think there's another level there that only exposure will unearth. And we were almost there once and he got hurt. We just talked about it, but I don't know. I, I definitely, you know, sometimes you just got to go with the guy who gives you the other side of the plate option. But I think Christian Pache is a very interesting and exciting player. And you're right about the defense. I think he's more redundant because of Rojas than because of yeah. Cave. Right. I would also like to add that he's out of options is my favorite baseball phrase because it mm-hmm. just always sounds like the player is in a gas station bathroom, like looking <laughs> in the mirror. I just I just had three pulled pork sandwiches and there is no, <laughs> there is no. I just spent the last dollar in my wallet on this on this uh, pack of mints I am my out of options meal. here okay <laughs> about to drive into the desert with a shovel like yeah <laughs> there are literally no other options here <laughs> well I've hey, got to, to be designated for, for assignment but... Then he ran out of options. That's right. That <laughs> I'll is tell good. you guys, been, yeah. we've got like, a, there's a t-shirt series, idea there somewhere. We've got TV series. We've got <laughs> yeah. graphic novels yeah. based on these guys whose name rights and life rights we will never get and cannot afford. So like what happens when a ma- when a caveman runs out of options, <laughs> he invents fire. <laughs> <laughs> Why are why do we have full time jobs doing other things? I don't like know. how is this not our life doing this like all the time? <laughs> Someone um, out there, give us more money to do this. Yeah, we'll do it yeah. full time. We'll come up with great ideas. We'll make you a trillion bucks. We'll make I you a trillion dollars. I guarantee it. I, I think um I, I think with the, I think you're right, by the way. I agree with both of you. I think Jake Cave will be the guy. And I think they are really gonna try and feature Pache here this spring. 
in the hopes of trading him to get something, to get another uh, pitcher in here. Um, maybe not a top, maybe a guy that's not necessarily going to start the seat, but something with some high value to it. I, yeah, I think Pache is kind of that guy because once Ro- Rojas came up to the major leagues and showed that he could play, the, then Pache really did become redundant. Ro- Rojas was not supposed to be a big leaguer, even maybe this year. I mean, no. possibly, but that's why they got Pache was to, was to be that guy. And that's so, kind of why I want them to hold on to him for a little yeah. while. Because as excited as the Phillies and the fans are about Rojas, I would love it if we kept a backup yeah, plan. Just- just a backup plan. Just in case, like the Phillies, oh, for some reason, the best they, case scenario doesn't work out for them. They signed a backup plan. His name is Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield is the backup plan. Yeah. He's going to cover so much ground. Like we've been talking, he's the, the savior of the franchise. We keep keep forgetting. <laughs> we just, it's, We're going to be forced to talk about him so much this year. Yes, we like, are. Like, yes, really we are. a lot. I'm going to have to learn what he looks like. Spring training. I'm trying to get us to win more games in spring training as well by mm-hmm. talking about Whit Merrifield as much as yes. we're going to have to talk about him in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, Scott Kingry, by the way, monster home run to center field. The man will not go away. No. Uh, he is 29 years old. <laughs> and this guy, I will tell you what, no kidding aside, movies, if, if there is a movie to be made about anybody in this organization, if Scott Kingery can somehow find a deal someplace and land a job with a major league team and actually do something productive, I'll give you my, how much, how much do movies cost now? I haven't been to a movie since like, you know, 2014. Oh, to go to, yeah. Yeah, to I go see. to a movie. Um, or like to, I guess bucks? to stream. Yeah. We, we stream everything now. Yes, yeah, so I will hand over my 599 or 1099 or whatever it is for uh, for the Scott Kingery story. Oh boy. Yeah, you have not been to movies in a while. I thought no, you meant to not. make a movie. I was like, I don't know, like uh, tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not Are helping that. Are we immediately going to a high stakes no, I'll, situation? I'll, I'll help on the opposite end of that side, not the creation. <laughs> I'll the, go but see yeah. it. <laughs> I'll help hey, tell the story. A- you know, if anybody needs any background, we've certainly podcasted about him enough. Um, On a different podcast, I said Scott Kingery was my spring training guy. He is my he is my champion this 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 grapefruit league time around. I I, I want to see him. You know, he's always he's always played well in spring training. Yeah, that's not new. And then he goes he's to AAA. Spring training king. Yeah. Yes, um, but I would love to see him make things really interesting. I mean, what happened when he got that extension? The first time they said he forced our hand because he played so well in spring training. He could do it again and a great start. Hitting a home run to the batter's eye, or so just to the left. So, are you it, saying another five-year deal is on the way? I hell, I'd go six. Okay, okay, that's fair. Why not? God. That's fair. Crown. He's played a little major league baseball now. That's the difference <laughs> between right. this and the first one. You can't say that he has never played a game in the majors now. <laughs> so Scott Kingery, Scott Kingery outlasted Reese Hoskins. <laughs> Think wow, about that's that. True. That's true. Scott oh, is people still here. are gonna love that. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Let's talk about it a whole lot. Remember when uh, John tweeted that people should stop t- uh, sending out pictures of Reese Hoskins in a Brewers uniform, and I was like, "Boy, that's a that's just asking people to to respond to do you the say, opposite. Let people like things. Yeah, stop, stop, stop preventing telling people. not to tweet things. I'm only stating my preference. All right, I can state my preference. <laughs> I don't understand it. Like, I liked Reese Hoskins. I liked Reese Hoskins. You do understand. I, I you liked do. him when he was here. That's not true. That's but can, like, he's not on the team anymore. You like, just don't want... <laughs> he's not, he's, um, you knew when picture, Team Picture Day came out and pictures of him in a brewer's uniform 
were readily available. You knew that was good. There were going to be a bunch of quote tweets out sad faces or broken hearts. And I was okay with I'm okay, I'm okay with it to a point. You know, like when they when they first signed him and they took the bat spike and they swapped it off into a brew, into a Brewers jersey. That was that was wrong on every. Oh, level. I didn't see that. That actually yeah. offends me. Too yeah, much. that, that does. Was offensive. That was offensive. <laughs> oh, wow. That was not your moment. Ouch. That was our moment. Okay. But now, like, he's, I take he's everything in... back. I might actually. I do. I take everything back. That hurt me a lot. Just like yeah, that. that that one hurt me. <laughs> but but now with him just like batting practice in a Brewers jersey at the start of spring training. Okay. Well, are you? Are we going to do this for every player who's left? Like, what do we? I don't. Yes. Where have you been? People are sad. They form attachments to players and become obsessed with them forever. I don't it's, need it's it. A thing. I don't need it. I don't need it. I've, I'm done. I got, I, John I, I, has ascended to a higher plane of fandom. He's better John, than all of us now. He doesn't. When, he doesn't have fan attachments anymore. John, when right? Ed Delahunty left the Phillies, um, was that heartbreaking for you? Did you particularly mourn for days as a as a young boy in hot pants with a large lolly hot waiting for the. <laughs> Waiting for the streetcar. I believe you might mean short pants, but sure, we'll go with hot yes, pants. Yeah, not the hot pants. I didn't, I didn't do the hot, hot pants. pants. I just, every t- every time I would see I the giant flashbulb photography of Ed Delahanty in another team's mm-hmm. uniform, it used to just make me upset. Like, enough already. Yeah. I get it. Ed was yeah. great, but, you know, we, we've all got a depression to get through, okay? We all have fire <laughs> engines to chase. That's right. We I, all have beer to illegally drink. Like, come I, on. I'm I may I'm I I form attachments to players, but I just maybe maybe I didn't fall in love with Reese Hoskins as much as everyone else. And and I guess that's that's on me. That's I, a fault of my own. I it's almost tweeted about him was today. let go and John was John texted me, Well, at least there'll be some solid defense at first base now. And I didn't even <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even tweet. know what he was talking about. I did about. not text that to you. Yes he did. <laughs> I did not Justin text that to you. Me. I did not text you that to you. You can't get out of this. It's not wrong, though. But I didn't text that to you. <laughs> you just, this just in, you heard it here first. It's not wrong. John Stolness hates Reese Hoskins. He hates him, everyone. Hate. Hate. He's just, he is. Uh, I'll be the one guy booing him, him when he comes back to ever. Philadelphia this year. He's going to start get a campaign. Get out of here, you bum. Oh, you crumb bum. All right. Uh, God, language. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Family podcast. We'll bleep that out later. Um, let's talk about uh, one big move around baseball that we want to talk about real quick before we get to the Where Are They Now segment. Cody Bellinger is off the market, signs a contract with the Chicago Cubs, the team with whom it made the most sense for him to return. A three-year, $80 million deal, but it really is a series of one-year deals because there are opt-outs at the end of each year of this contract. Uh, this is very similar to the Carlos Correa deal that he signed with the Minnesota Twins a few years ago. Uh, then he tried to get out of it, tried to sign with uh, the Giants. They turned that down and tried to sign with the Mets. The, the, the physical got in the way of that, too. There was a big blunder. He went back to the Twins, and that's where he's going to be the rest of his career. Cody Bellinger, who knows how long he'll be with Chicago, but he's there in 2024, which then t- takes you to you know the other guys who are still out there, like the Jordan Montgomerys, the Blake Snells, the Matt Chapmans. This is the kind of deal that I think these guys are going to get offered, right? A one-year, uh, like a two- or three-year deal with opt-outs at the end of each one of these years. Do you think that's an interest f- for the Phillies, or do you just kind of think we're good? Like, are we good? We don't need to be doing, like, a three-year deal for Jordan Montgomery with opt-outs after each of them? I wouldn't I, say I no. I think the Phillies consider themselves 
kind of done. Yeah, I think right? you are right. Are we not getting that vibe from yeah. them? But then I get, I always go to say that, and I think I don't know. But they've they've surprised us even the last couple of years. They've they've surprised people. So I'm not surprised by how things went with Bellinger. The deal was a little interesting, but that he went back to the Cubs, I was just assuming that was going to happen at some point. Yeah. Um, but as far as like that, I, I don't know. I mean, to the other side of that is that we've been saying Dave Dombrowski's kind of waited for this point. It seemed like he was waiting for guys to reach this point where he could offer the deal he wanted to offer yeah. and have more leverage because it was so late in the in the game. But yeah, for the most part I just I don't I don't think the Phillies have anything like they've closed that drawer. They're moving on to trying to win games in the Grapefruit League. Liz, I saw somebody also write like it can be a distraction like to add somebody this late in the game. Now if it's a really really good player Good distraction, I guess, right? Who's, I mean, who, who, who said, said that? that? I was just going to be <laughs> like, no. Spring Some training is barely a week old. It's a distraction from the dudes doing what? Taking their kids to the beach after spending 15 minutes sitting in the dugout and getting one plate appearance? Like, there's no distraction at this point. Adding a player in the playoffs would be a distraction, which is why they don't do that, which is why you can't do that. You know, like, you adding a player at any point really is not like a distraction you know that's that's just dumb if a player or like players were were like oh you know a little known fact is actually very distracting to add new guys once spring training is underway for the following reasons okay uh, like i would believe that but that's why i'm like who said that because if it's just like yeah i forget where i read that (laughs) then it's like well what what, (laughs) you know that you don't know that it never has been before this this wouldn't be the first time Guys were added to a team yeah. in the middle of spring training. No. If it's not distracting at the trade deadline when the games matter, then I can't imagine it's that distracting no. now. Which, or maybe it's like, oh, a new guy is here to yeah. compete for a job who wasn't here before. I, I don't know. Which baseball writers don't you guys like? That's who wrote it. John just, so just, just <laughs> That sounds fill, like a Heyman. Just fill in a blank. I have no idea. I don't remember, but let's just we, – right. we can we can credit them with it. Yeah, and That's just a go, Heyman just special because it's it's almost something that like an agent would tell him to say. He's like, oh, it's too distracting <laughs> to add this player to this team. Over here, this team will not be distracting. Over here. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our final segment of the evening. And uh, where are they now, Liz? I wonder because uh, you've got they? another list of really fun players that we can uh, find out a little bit more about. For those of you who haven't listened to previous episodes, this is a segment where uh, Liz has a book uh, that she found online uh, full of former Phillies players. And we find a little found out a little bit more about them in a where are they now segment. So, Liz, who do we have to choose from here today? All right. Well, you do you still have these screenshot I sent you? No. I said you'd it's like somewhere. You've, you've, you've yeah, let I'll me. Find uh... it. I'll find it. Here it is. Hang on a second. There I got to go. scroll back. Gotta we got to do homework. Here it is. This? I got it. it there's got no it. homework. It's just look at the screenshot and pick a name that we haven't done yet. Yeah, That's let me, hard. I'm going to share my screen. With, yeah, let me see if I can share my screen. Here we go. Share my screen with everybody. Okay. So, yes, do the Slack. Okay. For people listening to the podcast, this is fantastic this is content right fantastic. now. I'm trying to pull yeah, this up. All right, so we've got here. Uh, we already did Rick Bossetti, the 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 center field wetter, uh, the wet bandit. Um, we got. We already did uh, Gene Garber. So who do we like here? I picked last time, Justin. It's your turn. Um, for some reason, Bo Belinsky is a name. I feel like I've I've read something about or I heard something about. I feel like there's a distinction for him. So I'll, I'll go with uh, number one, Bo Belinsky. All right, Bo Belinsky, it All is. Right. 
Bobolinsky, my tagline, his, what was it? Had it right there. Oh, he was a playboy and he married one, I think. Yeah, he was a playboy and he married one, too. This is Where Have You Gone, Bobolinsky, from the book Phillies, Where Have You Gone, by Franz Zimenich, published in 2004. Bobolinsky is a pitcher. Uh, Let's see. He played for the Phillies, Angels, Reds, Astros, and Pirates. He was born... Uh, in December 1936, he died in 2001. He had eight major league seasons. Uh, he spent two years with the Phillies, debuting in 1962. All right. Robert Bo Belinsky could pitch, but his reputation was one of the great playboys of the rest of the Western world. <laughs> In the early 1960s, he managed to take a regular turn in the Los Angeles Angels starting rotation with his partner in fun, Dean Chance, while being romantically linked to the likes of Anne Margaret, Connie Stevens, Tina Louise, and Mamie Van Doren. Wow. Yeah, those are some names. Those are some names. Yes. When Bo settled down and got married, it was Joe Collins, who just happened to be the 1965 Playmate, Playboy Playmate of the Year. Belinsky was uh, 10 and 11 in his rookie campaign with the Angels in 1962 and hurled a no hitter against the Baltimore Orioles, only adding to his mystique. In fairness to this Southpaw, baseball success was not an overnight happening, as he toiled for six minor league seasons before getting his chance with the Angels. He went 13 and 6 for Pensacola in 1957 and won 10 games for Aberdeen the following year. After paying his dues in the minor leagues, he made quite an impression in his rookie year. He, followed, he followed up with a 2-9-1963 season, but remounted nicely, going 9-8 in 64 before being traded to the Phillies. Over the next five seasons, the best Belinsky could muster was four wins for the 65 Phillies and three wins for the Astros in 1967. He closed out his big league career in 1970, uh, appearing in three games with the Reds. Bo also made guest appearances on various television shows and a few movies. He penned a book called Pitching and Wooing, in which he described more of the wooing aspects of his life than his pitching exploits. Based on the stats, that sounds like the right way to go. I have to find this book. <laughs> I have Pitching to. and Wooing. I have to find this book. Um, on the field... Bobolinsky was never able to match his rookie numbers and bounced around from team to team. Even though he won just 28 games in his major league career, Bobolinsky was the premier baseball playboy in the 1960s. Bobolinsky was traded to the Phillies from the California Angels on December 3, 1964, in exchange for Rudy May and Costin Shockley. He was drafted Can by... Can I just interject? Please. Can you imagine... As a well-known playboy man about town, uh, getting traded from Western California to Philadelphia. <laughs> what that did to the man's social life, I can't imagine. Uh, guys have found a way to make it work. I don't think Pat Burrell was uh, <laughs> staying home most nights. Fair. Yes. Uh, see, he was drafted by the Houston Astros from the Phillies on no. Um, uh, on November 28, 1966, in the Rule 5 draft. In later years, he became a drug and alcohol abuse counselor. He passed away of a heart attack in Las Vegas in 2001. It's a little dry, considering Uh, it's like he is a playboy. (laughs) 
Yeah, the author. Found, well, there's probably more that they couldn't say. Um, like this article I found after he had retired. <laughs> <laughs> he was um, uh, asked to play in a old timers game in 1974. And he said, listen, tell everybody I'm making the ultimate sacrifice. They wanted me to judge the Miss California beauty pageant on Saturday night. And I turned them down. I said, sorry, but I got to be in Philadelphia. Going to pitch in the old timers game. Of course, they all looked at me like I wasn't wrapped too tight. But what the hell? They'll still be here when I get back. Oh, they'll always be around. But how often does somebody want to give you a little tribute? <laughs> he also apparently took money out of the baseball players pension fund, uh, like his own money. And Dean Chance has this quote in this story by Bill Lyon where he's like, he took his money out of the baseball players pension fund. I talked him into putting it back in. Nobody will need money in 20 years more than Bo Belinsky. <laughs> wow. I the, the name really is familiar. Like, I, I'm trying to think about where I've heard that name before. It must have been on, like, one of those old Phillies videos. Like, they have that Centennial video that they made in 1984 or whenever it was. Uh, and I know the name Bo Bel- Was he on the 64 Phillies? Was he on that collapse team? No, he was traded there the year after. Okay. All right. I don't. Yeah, I guess that's why he was. I guess that's why they mentioned him is because he probably was this like celebrity from the 1960s. But um, yeah, I feel like the author pussyfooted around and had to navigate around some maybe some sensitive stuff from uh, from Bobolinsky's, uh, which I which as a family podcast is probably for the best. But <laughs> I'm gonna um, certainly dug up that book. Guy. By the way, it is available uh-huh. to buy. It is phenomenal. Uh, looking the cover, the sexiest ba- the sexiest baseball book since ball four. No, I'm sorry, the sexiest sports mm. book uh, by Maury Allen with the uncensored cooperation of Bo Belinsky. I'm gonna buy this book <laughs> and then I'm gonna talk about it on Patreon. That's what's happening. There you go. There you um, go. That's where, that's where we... the blue material is, kids. Yes. Before we do go, I do want to read just a list of the players that we have left. We have Larry Christensen, Larry Colton, Greg Harris, Steve Ridzik, Kurt Simmons, Wayne Twitchell, Fred Wenz, Frank Thomas, Dave Watkins, and Wayne Graham. All right. Exciting. I I have an idea who I want to... I have an idea who I want to talk about for next week, but uh, we'll save that for the next episode for Cannot sure. But these wait. are great. These are great. These are fantastic. Uh, good way to mention, get to know some of these. Now some of these obscure guys. I don't even know who some of these guys are. This is this is good stuff. Thank you, Liz. All right. My pleasure. Uh, let's do some final thoughts to wrap up the podcast here. And Justin, we'll start with you this week. Uh, final thoughts from you. Uh, you mentioned the Patreon, and we have a uh, spring training episode of the dirty inning from we actually recorded it in 2021 so we have this like a classic episode about the 1954 phillies uh called spring is in the errors and then we also have a brand new episode (laughs) of the dirty inning we recorded this past week um it is about the 2019 phillies and a game they lost against the marlins that everyone seemed to recognize when i described it in Mm -hmm. the slightest amount of detail so that one's still fresh in everyone's (laughs) minds as i said to john i think it's one of the first episodes we did that uh happened after we started doing the show right so people said "Ooh, this would make a great dirty inning like i think this is the first one of those yeah 
People ask how long we have to wait, and I mean, if we waited as long as we did for the amount of time to pass between episodes we normally do, we would all be dead by the time <laughs> right. it was time to do that. Life so, is short. Let's at, yeah. take advantage. Yeah, you're looking at the year like 2055, gang. So right. we, we we don't want to be doing that this for that long. I don't think anyway. Um, Life's short. The Phillies are losing. Let's do a podcast. <laughs> That's right. Liz Rocher, final thoughts from you. Uh, come to sports.yahoo.com to see our new uh our new baseball uh writers. We've got uh we've got the Cespedes Barbecue Boys. Uh they are now part of the Yahoo family, their podcast here. You know them. You are familiar with them. So uh come and see we've got great baseball coverage uh this season, so Come and see all of what we have to offer you. All right. Very good stuff there. And I will just remind everybody also to check out our partners over at BillyPen.com. We have our landing page there, BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season, where we post all of our articles that go along with this podcast. And um, you, of course, can read everything that Justin does over at Baseball Prospectus and Liz over at Yahoo Sports and my stuff over at thegoodfight.com as well. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. And again, our partners here at WHYY and Billy Penn, we are very excited to kick off the 2024 spring schedule, and uh, we hope to have some news for meetups and stuff as we go along here, too. So uh, we'll be uh, we'll be getting back at you with that as the, uh, as the days and weeks go by. But we are getting ready for Phillies baseball this year. Fake games are underway, so we actually will have some real baseball and some real players to talk about instead of trying to discuss who the Phillies won't be signing. So good stuff gang thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time right here on hit and season